You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. And I have Jules Chandler. Uh, she's a thyroid expert, a naturopathic nutrition therapist. And we're going to be talking about uh, thyroids. And uh, her website is thebristolnutritionist.com. Bristol is B-R-I-S-T-O-L. So thebristolnutritionist.com. So Jules, thanks for coming. Oh, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Really nice to be talking to you today, Richard. Yeah. I don't know if I'm qualified to talk to you because I don't have a thyroid anymore, but uh, I'll do my best. Oh, you're totally qualified to talk to me because I don't have a thyroid anymore either. I want to get mine back hopefully in like 10, 15 years with 3D printing. And when I told the doctor oh, that, they goodness. just laughed. But... Hang on a minute. <laughs> That's my line. You stole my line. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you stole my line. I can't believe it. Oh, you say the same thing? You want it back eventually? I do. Or a new one? I do. I want to do 3D printing with the, with the tissue and see what happens and get like a little transplant thing going on and see what happens. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me what's, uh, what, you know, where did your thyroid go? What's your backstory? What happened? Well, I was uh, diagnosed with Graves' disease, so autoimmune yeah. thyrotoxicosis when you go super, super hyper. So everything was running crazy fast um, yeah is that what happened with you did you have like overactive thyroid as well no i had a thyroid cancer uh, papillary so luckily it, okay. everything seems to be okay but uh, i have a friend actually that his doctor thinks he has graves disease but uh, usually most of the people i talk to have hashimoto's or hypo or an underactive you know, thyroid so it's pretty rare yeah, yeah, totally. that i've heard at least I have mean, overactive we're pretty rare, actually, to have thyroid cancer or overactive thyroid that's been removed, especially here in the UK. What they tend to do here is they do a block and replace technique. Uh, so they give you about 18 months on some pretty nasty drugs called carbimazole, propothyroidism, I think they call it over there. <clears throat> Slightly different drug. And uh, they stop your thyroid from working. And, uh, and then they put in some levothyroxine to kind of get it started up again. And... That happened to me for 18 months and they give it a good 18 months and then they see if it's going to go into remission and, and behave itself. Uh, mine did not behave itself <laughs> at all. And um, yeah, so it took me about a year to get stable and then it took me um, 
another year to kind of wait for surgery. And they were going to do really? radioactive iodine treatment, which is uh-huh. quite common as well. And I didn't, I didn't really want that. Do, uh, well, radioactive iodine to kill any remaining thyroid cells? Exactly. And I didn't kind of, I, I, all I could think of was Homer Simpson when he has that radioactive, <laughs> you know, in the I, credits. I had it. Did you? Did you uh, like Homer Simpson? I had it and it was like, I was watching specials on Chernobyl, you know, on YouTube. My wife yelled at me and told me not to do that. You know, yeah, I don't, know don't why, do that. I was just feeling bad when it happened. So, but yeah, yeah I, understand. I thought about Homer idea. Simpson too. Yeah. yeah. So I opted for um, a total thyroidectomy. And um, funnily enough, I was watching Sweeney Todd the night before, <laughs> which probably wasn't a good idea either. So we're so similar, Mr. Jacobs. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I was bonkers. I was, um, a lot of mine manifested in mental health, which doesn't get talked about very often. When people talk about uh, overactive thyroid, they always think, oh, you get really skinny, which, you know, is the case. I burned a lot of fuel very, very quickly. And then they put you on the drugs and, of course, you go underactive. So you get really, really big again. So, you know, people I didn't see for a while were like, oh, my God, you're so skinny. You look so well because we equate skinny with health, which is insanity. I'd never been so ill in my life. And mentally, I was absolutely off the chart. My adrenals were taking a massive hit. I was um, very unwell mentally, pretty much bipolar. Uh, but they couldn't yeah. treat me for that because it was it, it, bipolar is mimicked, basically, by overactive thyroid. And then, of course, when they took that out, I went underactive pretty quick. So instead of taking your thyroid out right away, they they gave you uh, chemicals to kill it, and then they supplemented it with Synthroid or Levothyroxine, and then yeah. they took it out? Yeah, because what they do with the, with the uh, block and replace regimen is they try and stop it working with the carbimazole. They dull it, and then they put the Synthroid in. And it didn't work. I just went straight into remission. I and the beautiful thing, I managed to have a baby in that time, my second child, um, which she's they're both miracles. I mean, I just don't know one how I've got pregnant and two how I've carried full time, um, full term mm. babies because it's you know the thyroid is really important for fertility and for carrying in the first trimester. So I'm super blessed. But when I had my second baby, I went into pretty much thyroid storm. And um, they managed it for probably, they managed to keep control of it for about eight, nine months. And then the 10th month after pregnancy, that was it, game over. Yeah. So so once you had it out and you went through all this, did you then decide, all right, I want to help other people and help myself with it? And is that what started you on this path? No, this has all been an accident. (laughs) What what happened was... uh, about three weeks after I had my thyroid out, they kept telling me that I was cured. Um, and I thought, that's not right. And and just before I had my thyroidectomy, I'd been playing around with gluten. I'd been taking it out of my diet. It had reduced my goiter by three quarters by the time I got to surgery. Um, what did you get out of your diet? I took gluten out of my diet. Oh, gluten. Okay. You removed gluten. Yeah. And my goiter had reduced by three quarters. And I'd played around with it. I thought, is it psychosomatic? You know, is it, you know, but it wasn't. I'd, I'd experimented quite a bit. And then by the time I got to surgery, I was so mentally ill. I just, I was ready to rip it out with a biro. 
to be honest like just wow. stab just get it out do you know what I mean I was so unwell and um and then I came I kind of came round about three four weeks after my operation and I thought wow the gluten really made a difference and I started eating it again after my uh, thyroidectomy and I would still have real bad symptoms like so it was like someone had headbutted me in the face you know everything was inflamed there was a very noticeable difference as to when I ate gluten and when I didn't so I started doing some research online went to Dr Google like you do Okay. I found the link between autoimmune disease and gluten. And I just got more and more interested. And then I don't really know how it happened, but I came across the College of Naturopathic Medicine here in the UK and found yeah. out about their nutritional therapy courses. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. I want to find out the effect that food has on my body. Um, right. And and so I did. So I went I went back to college and went back to school for three years of biochemistry. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect three years of biochemistry. I was freaking out. But um, I discovered quick, quick, at the age of like 40, I was a geek. A quick question here. Is, um, is Graves disease an autoimmune thyroid condition or what is it classified as by traditional medicine? It is, yeah. It's classed as an autoimmune disease. The main drivers um, in terms of naturopathic medicine are stress and gluten. So when they took out my thyroid and said I was cured, I was like, mm, that's not actually true. Because right. that mechanism of the immune system going kind of awry and attacking gluten is still very much alive and kicking in my body. It may be dormant if I take gluten out, but if I put it back in, then it builds up and I know about it, even now. Oh, okay. So you took out gluten and what other modifications did you make and what were the effects? Well, since I've had my thyroid out, I've done a lot more work. So I've done a lot of gut healing um, because we have a lot of, most people have some gut permeability going on. So constant antibiotics, constant stress, constant inflammatory mm -hmm. foods can irritate the gut lining, as we know, and create leaky gut. And then you're getting um, the larger molecules leaking through, like casein from dairy and gliadin from gluten. So I spent a while taking those out, healing my gut, doing some herbs, um, calming down and restoring my immune system. Because I was getting colds, tonsillitis, flu, like all kind of illnesses um, all of the time. And so I did gut healing. I um, did loads of relaxation so I had regular reflexology I also went back to therapy I had a lot of stuff to deal with not just from being ill but a lot of stuff was coming up from my past and I'm a firm believer in you know the thyroid gland it sits right in the throat chakra and for me and many 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 of my clients it's the throat chakra is about not being heard it's about suppression all of that stuff so I went back to therapy yeah. I got loads of massage I like just full-on went for it and um, yeah, it made a big difference. A big difference. So, what were what were some of the um, what are traditional symptoms of Graves' disease? And then, what kind of symptoms did you have, or you know, what kind of symptoms have you heard anecdotally from people you work with? Well, textbook Graves is losing weight, um, feeling wired all the time, having uh, anecdotally from my clients, it's like having an electric current running through your body. Um, very 
easily reactive. So your emotions are all over the person, uh, all over the person. Well, yeah, all over the person and all over the place. So uh, yeah. very moody, very kind of adrenally led. So very fight or flight orientated, um, mm. hyper vigilant anxiety. So can you imagine the school grades, <laughs> the school playground when you're in the midst of grave disease? <laughs> It's just like, oh, yeah. ah. I mean, it's bad enough on a good day, do you know what I mean? But going in that environment with loads of kids running around and your fight, my fight or flight system was like hyper vigilant. So I'm like literally a jangly mess. But what I have seen as well in clinic a lot is this uh, kind of stereotypical weight loss is not always true as well. You can have weight gain, um, especially if you're being on blocking the face treatment because you're kind of, looking hypothyroid then because your thyroid's been shut down so everyone associates Graves disease with super skinny and instant weight loss but and also you have a lot more energy but not in a good about, way um, like, in a, like in a having 20 yeah, yeah. coffees kind of a feeling well I, mean, I don't know if this fits in or will help but um once i had my thyroid out you know i had to like for the most part stop having caffeine because a few times i felt crazed like all of a sudden it felt like my brain went into overdrive and I couldn't, it was really hard to function. It was a horrible feeling. And um, yeah, it's, like, it's I just went to like decaf only and that seems to uh, work fine for me. But yeah, that was one thing I noticed, but again, different scenario, but uh, maybe that helps people that listen. But absolutely. Know. And this is the thing that, you know, if your thyroid's impacted in any way, the adrenals are going to be involved. They're like best mates. They have each other's backs. So mm. if your thyroid is going full pelt your adrenals are going to be driving that as well to keep up with it and vice versa so they're well, going to be if, uh, if your thyroid's gone then your adrenals have to pick up the slack and work maybe two jobs so maybe they yeah, tend totally. to get uh, over overworked easier yeah. yeah absolutely so you know i i also had to take caffeine out of the equation um because i was just even more crazed and um and i'm talking like walking down the street with my kids and my extended family screaming at my ex-partner for something as little really? as you know having the kids too close to the road like proper losing it no mm, I used to go gotcha. around saying hashtag no filter and that's how I felt like there was no ah. rational thinking nothing yeah I understand um what about the um traditional testing for thyroid function is usually what TSH and T4, and then um, in order to see Graves or Hashimoto's or et, you know etc. What should be the protocol of thyroid tests, or are those two enough? You know, or should you do T4, T3, reverse T3, you know, peroxidase, etc. What's your recommendation? I, well, every client that I see now, I um, have private labs done straight away because mm. here in the UK. They generally won't test further than TSH, which, as we know, is pretty useless. That is just the relationship between your pituitary and your um, and your thyroid to stimulate the thyroid hormone. So we don't actually know what the output is. Uh, and I've seen clients with a really lovely TSH, but their T3 has been literally on the floor and their antibodies have been like 3000 TPOs. So everyone I get tested now is, um, everyone that I see now is privately tested and we run through TSH, T4, T3, TPOs, T-jabs, 
and um, folate B12 ferritin so we, and CRP. So we know exactly what's going on. Uh, if I have Graves clients, we do get an independent TRAB test now or a TS TSI. There's only one company, I think, in the UK that does it at the moment. But um, yeah, it's not too great for testing in the UK. Doctors are just like, well, it doesn't matter if you've got Hashimoto's because there's still one treatment, whereas which is levothyroxine or Synthroid. Um, and what we do naturopathically is, yeah, there's more than one treatment. We can, if you're, you know, looking at your TSH, T4, T3 and your TPO and T-jabs, we can see if there is an autoimmune response. If there isn't an autoimmune response, a lot of the time it's adrenal-led clients. So it's working on their stress management, making sure they're eating regularly, making sure people are sleeping, getting off tech, you know, all that stuff. But if it is antibody-led, then we do um, we put the emphasis on gut healing and uh, and some really healing foods. And also a lot of the time supplementation in terms of mycotherapy, um, mushroom therapy is really great here at the moment. So yeah, different ways depending on what your testing comes back with. What about um, do you deal with people that uh, again they've had their thyroid, you know, put to sleep or taken out, and they're on levothyroxine or synthroid, and they're not doing well on it, and they might want to migrate to like Armor or NP or WP or other thyroid medications? Do you work with people like that to try to help transition them to the right mix for them? I do, yeah, and um, it's. It's very, oh, that sounds sad when you say put their thyroid to sleep. Bless it. I feel sorry for the thyroid. It's just, it's not its fault, is it, half the time? It's nothing to do with the thyroid. It's such a shame. Um, but yeah, I see a lot yeah. of people where Levo is just not working for them. Synthroid just doesn't work. And it's because a lot of the time people have that genetic twist on their um, DIO2 or DIO1 gene. So there's no sure. way that they can use it. What is it? What is a can you say the name of the gene again and what happens if you oh, have yeah. so there's a, there's one a, version or another? There's, a, there's an enzyme, the DIO1 or DIO2 enzyme, that actually converts the, the T4 to T3 in the liver in the primary site of conversion. So some hmm. people don't have that gene. They don't, they don't have that enzyme. So they either just can't uh, use synthroid or they use it too quickly, or they oh. use it too slowly. I had so heard I that the T4 to T3 happened also in the gut from gut bacteria, or is it just predominantly yeah, in the liver? It does. It happens in the gut. It happens in the heart as well. It happens in muscles, but predominantly in the liver. So you've got to make sure it's not full of cheese and wine. Really? Huh. <laughs> nice, clean liver. That's what we want. How do you... Um, okay, so... How do you, is there genetic testing to see if you have this particular enzyme? Like, how do you figure it out? Well, a lot of the time people have been taking Levo or Synthroid for 10 years and they still feel rubbish. And the doctor has just been putting it up, putting it up, putting it up, putting it up. So some people do need the black and white evidence in front of me, in front of them. So we do some DNA testing. Uh, or we take it out, we work with the GP to reduce their levo, and we supplement mm. that with um, other products. So armor here is really difficult and very, very expensive to get hold of in the UK. So mm. there's a couple of bits and pieces that my, my clients generally come to me with a bit of an idea of what they want to do, 
and they source their own stuff. And that's either coming from um, the Stop the Thyroid Madness site. So they're using Thyroid or Thyroid S from Thailand. Um, so we do a bit of kind of a mix and match with that and see how it goes. But you always need support of a doctor and with lots of testing so we know what's going on. And never before a gut heal as well. You know, gut healing is the primary job, really, that we do. Because if you, particularly in, in uh, UK, we have an amazing uh, whole desiccated thyroid product here that is desiccated in the gut rather than sublingual. So we need to make sure that the gut is working because any supplementation you put in on a gut that isn't healed is just very expensive urine, to be honest. Okay, it's so if you have a leaky gut, if you have a leaky gut and you take a pill and you know your gut is supposed to digest it and you know help with the conversion and everything, and that then it doesn't happen. It's a waste. Yeah, totally. And you know it goes all the way, not even in the gut, but all all the way up to the first part of the stomach, you know, looking at stomach acid, looking at your digestive enzymes, are you actually chewing your food? You know, if you're full of wind, for example, you're probably fermenting. So you're not chewing, you're not digesting, you're not breaking down. So you put a pill in there as a supplement, and it's going to sit there and come out the other end. It's just, it's just pointless. So I don't really supplement my clients in the first month of working together. Um, the only thing I'll generally give people is, an, is a digestive enzyme uh, to get things moving. Oh. And then once we know that that bit's working, then we go ahead. And sometimes it can be soluble. Sometimes it can be tablets. Sometimes it can be powder. It's very unique to the person, depending on their digestive circumstances. Wow. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot more to this than, uh, you know, there's always a lot more to this than meets the eye. Traditional doctors, they go, oh, here's some... Here's some level of thyroxine, you know, oh, it's not working. We'll give you more, give you more until you explode, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, there's just been some, uh, I think it was about a month ago now on the BBC news, they've finally admitted that people are over-medicated on Synthroid here. And the British what, Medical um, Journal has said, no, it's not good. What, well, what happens if you uh, are on a very high, you know, what if you tolerate Synthroid just fine, but you're on a high level of it for a long time? What? Have you observed that it does anything or for some people it's fine? I don't know. I haven't. Um, I mean, the, the people that I get in clinic generally are people that want to either reduce or come off or or just, you know. But I don't think personally, in my humble opinion, it's great to be on that stuff for a long period of time because you are never, ever going to get more than T4 and T3. And there are five thyroid hormones, you know, T4, T3, T2, T1, T0 and calcitonin to regulate your calcium so if you're oh. stuck on levothyroxine and like for me and you if you're completely 100% dependent on that you're never going to get more than t4 and t3 and we need the other three hormones well can you get them from other supplements or is it better to you can uh, get it from uh, ndt it's my you can get it from ndt so um i personally i take a mixture so i take um Two different types of energy, and I take a combination of levothyroxine. Oh, I know, and um, I vary it for season to season as well. Because like now, it's cold, oh. so my my body is expecting it to be summer. <laughs> On the twelfth of June here in the UK, we've been well cheated. Apparently, there's a loading problem with the sunshine. Um, but you know, it's 
if this goes on much longer, I'm probably going to have to increase my dose because I need more energy to stay warm. So I tend to dabble a bit with my dose between winter and summer because I definitely need less in the summer. Really? Oh, that's great. That's another refinement I never thought about. And I don't know if anyone's thought about. That's really cool. Have you um mm-hmm. have you ever tried to do like tons of blood tests on yourself to see how your levels vary over time naturally? It's funny you should say that. I'm I almost don't want to know. I'm literally about to go collect a new set of bloods for my GP, but it won't be much. It'll probably be TSH and T4, and I'll have to beg them for T3. But um, and then I'll have an argument with the doctor on the phone at some point. But yeah, I I am tempted. I'm I'm working. Uh, on a lot of uh, nutrigenomic stuff at the moment, lots of DNA testing. And there's mm. a great company here in the UK and she's about to release a thyroid panel and has asked me if I want to be involved with that. And I'm just a bit like, oh, I don't think I want to know. I know my comp is out and I've probably got MTHFR. And, um, but I am literally a walking experiment. And I, I think that's kind of why it works for me in clinic because I'm just a hundred I'm far too honest for my own good and I know exactly how people feel and I've done it you know I'm living a pretty good life um I'm I'm happy I'm healthy generally that's the the big point that's the point yeah 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 it's good it's all good but I am a walking experiment Richard (laughs) well you you know what I kind of love it you have to uh you have to be in charge of your own health care and um you know, you, you get a little bit of info from one person and another and another, and you piece it together to make it work for you. Now, I'm not saying that, yeah. you know, you, I know you're a much better help to people than a lot that I've spoken to because you have all these things in mind. But, um, yeah, in healthcare, that's what you have to do. That's what I've seen. No one's going to, you know, pine pine for you if you're not feeling good. They, they'll just, like, throw medication at you, give you suggestions, but it's up to you to run with it, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, and it, and it's pretty hard managing your own health because we're so conditioned um particularly here to go to the doctor and be managed and that does not happen with thyroid patients um which is kind of why I'm I'm such a huge advocate for them and and I'm all about education and empowerment you know I only run clinic one day a week now because the rest of my time goes towards education and conferences and talks and kind of just getting the message out there that you don't have to do what you're told. You can kind of manage your oh. own health and you can't, there are other options and it's not a one synthroid pill fits all situation right, right. at all. It's not, it's everybody is completely unique. Um, and I'm doing a talk tomorrow night actually, uh, which I've been running for three years now and I have it every season and it's like a thyroid 101. So it explains to people, you know, what your thyroid is, what it does, what it's in charge of, how you can manage it, whether you're on medication, not on medication, if you want to do it naturopathically, just putting it out there. Because I don't know about you, Richard, but when I got diagnosed, I didn't even know what my thyroid was. Me neither, yeah. yeah. I just got given a prescription and told to take the pills. And I did that. I did that. And now people are going, actually, hang on a minute, do I need to take this? Are there other ways? And there are other ways. Obviously, there is also a place for medication. But, you know, last resort, really. What can we do first or what can we do with? Okay. Um, So what do you see? Are there any emerging trends? I mean, I've been hearing a lot about Hashimoto's. It seems like that's the big, you know, thyroid thing that's crowding out everything else. Are you hearing uh, 
are you seeing more people with thyroid cancer or the Graves or Hashimoto's or just underactive thyroid? Like, is there any predominancy to what you're seeing? Hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's is, is probably 80%. Um, okay. And I would say not all of that actually, is it 80%? I think most, hmm, 80%. I'm going to go 60 with kind of 20% of that being adrenal-led and kind of very potential tipping into hashies if you don't get that gut healing right um, because of the genetic line and the, hered- the hereditary side of it. I do get a few Graves patients. Um, that gets me really excited because <laughs> I just want to get everyone into remission before they have surgery. In fact, I saw somebody on Tuesday and her, she has thyroid eye disease and her eyes are not as far out in their sockets after four appointments. And that just makes me cry because it's just brilliant. You know, the changes she's made, uh, the protocol that she's followed, it's been incredible seeing her change and then seeing her symptoms start to decrease. Uh, and thyroid eye disease, I didn't have the eye disease, but I could still get that 20 years after a thyroidectomy. It's really important that people uh, look after their health right. in terms of graves because it can lead on if you haven't had the eye disease. Yeah, it's predominantly. You haven't had what? Wait, wait, wait. You're saying after you've had your thyroid taken out, what can happen to you even years later? You can have thyroid eye disease later. Thyroid eye disease? What does that mean? Yeah, so that classic when your eyes pop out. Oh, your your eyes bug out. Yeah, yeah. So there's two sites of attack for Graves' disease. One is the thyroid and one is the eye muscle. And everybody assumes that if you have Graves' disease, you have the bug eyes. But actually, you can have it without the bug eyes. You can just have the thyroid bit. Yeah. But... It can develop later. Is there anything wrong with bug eyes besides it looking weird, or is it uh, is there something else that's that's bad about it? Like, do your eyes literally fall out of your head, or is there something yeah, else? Pretty that's, much, that's the problem? yeah. They're literally coming out of your head, and you have to have um, skull oh. surgery to get them put back in. It's horrific. Really? You lose your driving license. You'll lose your. It's really bad. Graves um, got ophthalmopathy. I can never say it. Thyroid eye disease um yeah it's pretty bad it's it's horrific and of course it affects your self-esteem and all of that stuff as well it's very stressful it's very uh it interrupts your life more than any of the thyroid diseases i think because you're literally being disabled by your illness you know you you won't be able to show anything and it's very progressive so yeah yeah, have a good have a google graves eye disease it's pretty harsh pretty horrific so i think think, uh that that old lady in Harry Potter had it because her eyes seem to like bug out. Possibly, you'll probably see it now. I mean, if I see people when I'm like getting a coffee, you know, at Starbucks or whatever, and like they've got poppy eyes, I have to, I'm like so tempted to say, have you had your thyroid? <laughs> oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So a lot of, uh, a lot of Hashimoto's, a sprinkling of graves. Yeah. And lots of adrenal, lots of very stressed out people coming into clinic. And also there is a trend at the moment. And I think it's nutrigenomics. I think Ben Lynch and his Dirty Genes books have a lot to answer for right now in terms of looking at your genes. And it's, I love it. It's great. We can get faster solutions after DNA testing than we can ever before. Okay. All right. 
Well, very good. So what's, what's, uh, what are some resources for listeners? You know, if they want to get in contact with you, if they're in your area, I don't know if you could help people outside the UK, but you know, how do they get in well, contact with you, first of all? I have, um, my website is thethyroidexpert.com. Um, and I have, it's being rebuilt at the moment, actually, which is really exciting because there's going to be all my podcasts, all my YouTube, all everything in one place, which would be great. Um, I have a worldwide clinic as well. So I see people all over the world, which is really exciting. Um, and I, my favorite resource is, is still Stop the Thyroid Madness. Um, it's very NDT heavy, but it gives you kind of the basics of hashies, the basics of uh, thyroid disease and vitamins and nutrients that you need and the reason why we need to take gluten out. I just really love love that book. And I still refer to it now, like how many years later? 10 years, 11 years, 11 years yeah. later. Still, I'm still looking at it now. If you're a bit more geeky, um, they have a second book, which is a bit more science focused. And I also really love Eric Zansky, who's, uh, and these are both American books. Um, and he writes about hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease. And I really like his stuff. And he has a lot of stuff online and he does really regular mail outs as well. And he has a lot of free stuff like protocols and stuff that you can follow. So those are my like two go-tos at the moment. Um, I have a, just looking at my bookcase, which you can imagine has, is just <laughs> all thyroid books. A lot of them go across the room because I get so annoyed. Um, ben Lynch as well is my favorite at the moment. He's um, right, you said, yeah. the MT, MTHFR god in my eyes. So, yeah, we're just uh, loving Ben Lynch here right now. Okay. Right. Well, very good. Um, well, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, I learned some new stuff, and I think uh, listeners, they're able to get more help now, either by contacting you or at least being aware of uh, – <clears throat> more of what's involved as it comes to thyroid and adrenal. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's a complex, complex beastie. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Jules. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been really good to talk to you. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.